0: Good day, ladies, gentlemen, boys, and girls. Welcome to the Infinity Film Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Roger Lipshutz. Joining me, as always, is my other host, Benjamin Saunders. Ben, how are we doing today?
1: Greetings. I'm doing good.
0: Love the energy. Always, uh, folks. Today we are venturing into the world of women in cinema, and it wouldn't be appropriate if it was just Ben and I doing this today. Mm-hmm. So, joining us on this venture is our lovely friend, Caitlin Stevens.
2: Thank you so much.
0: You know, guys, before we go off on this, I want to get something off my chest here. You know, it's a damn shame that there were no women directors nominated last year for uh, for the Oscars. I, I, I could have thought of two directors you could have taken out last year, <coughs> Todd Phillips and um, either Quentin or, 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 or Sam Mendes. But, um, you know, that's more of a legacy thing.
2: And the year before you that, know. was women were robbed in 2018,
0: 2018. Absolutely. There we go. That's why we have Kevin here with us. Okay. So she can do all the all the arguing and we can just sit back and, and, and listen. Because uh, Ben and I are not, uh, we may be literate in film, but we aren't that literate when it comes to women in film. So we need a true expert to come on today okay. and to, to help us out. So, so folks, today we're going to do things uh, a little bit different. Today's just going to be an open forum discussion talking about some of our favorite woman filmmakers and the films that they have done. Uh, so without further ado, Ben will lead us off and talk about his first uh, woman director in film. And then Caitlin will go and I will go. So I'll sit back, relax, have a, have a snack, get a meal, get a drink. And I hope you enjoy. So Ben, why don't you get us started off today?
1: All right. This movie I actually watched last night in preparation one that i'd seen mentioned a lot but hadn't gotten around to and i'm very glad i did 2003 film uh, written and directed by Patty jenkins now of wonder woman fame but a while ago she wrote and direct the movie monster so this is the true story of eileen wernos i think is how it's pronounced who i didn't know the story of her before uh, of course i didn't look anything up but it, it made the movie that much better. So she's a, a prostitute, pretty much, and she's tired of being looked down on, and she befriends this younger girl who inspires her to try to be a better person, but she keeps failing at her efforts and it only makes her angrier, and it, it culminates into this one horrifying event that was really hard to watch and that, that uh, it sets her off on a, a darker path. And it's, it's kind of odd because she's immoral and makes not the best choices, but she's also pretty funny. <laughs> and you feel for her, too, because of that event. And she suffered from antisocial personality disorder and recounts several bad things from her childhood also. Yeah, like I was saying, you, you really feel for her and you see that she wants to turn her life around. And she tries to be in a good relationship, too help her but she makes wrong choices sometimes but the main part was played brilliantly by Charlize Theron who is a great actor she I feel like she's not appreciated enough maybe you know her name's thrown around some but then I feel like maybe not everyone knows her but her performance of Eileen she was like constantly moving and twitching all the time like she wasn't comfortable in her own skin and you know, it wasn't like a standard portrayal of someone real, and even the famous film critic Roger Ebert called it one of the greatest performances in the history of cinema, and it's it's hard to disagree. Uh, and she was awarded Best Actress from the Academy at the Oscars. Also, Christina Ricci plays her her friend that she starts a relationship with, and she has a subtle and kind of quieter role, but she still makes her character really believable and. Yeah you really believe their relationship, and you want to see them both get through. So I don't want to delve too deep into the story. If you haven't seen it, I, I really uh, would push everyone to, to watch it. But yeah, that was Monster from 2003," written and directed by Patty
0: Jenkins.
2: Awesome. I just, and also want to point out how good the makeup art like the yes. movies' it's like unrecognizable in that like um, the costume and art like makeup artist department. Props, For sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, if I hadn't written or read her name on the DVD, I wouldn't have known that was the own so.
2: Yeah, it looks nothing like her. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess now it's my turn to talk. So I want to talk about. Um actually you can't see because this is not a video podcast, but I'm wearing my a Film by Cheryl Dunier t-shirt from T's on Sen. Highly recommend you check out their women and non-binary centered t-shirts. Um, And the film I want to talk about is The Watermelon Woman from, yeah, 96. Um, And it was the first film to be, a feature film to be directed by a black lesbian woman. And Cheryl now is known for directing a lot of Queen Sugar with Ava DuVernay. Um, And she has a few other features under her belt. And all of her, well, two of her features and a lot of her short films are on Criterion Channel right now. Unfortunately, no longer free because it is no longer June. But if you have a subscription, you can watch The Watermelon Woman and some of her early short films on Criterion Channel. And Cheryl stars in it herself as a filmmaker named Cheryl who works in a video store with her friend Tamara. So there are kind of like three different modes that the film operates in. There's Cheryl and Tamara with their handheld camera from the 90s, kind of like filming weddings and Carol addressing the camera herself Um, and she's making a project about an actress named the Watermelon Woman who she came across like a black mammy type of character from the Gone with the Wind days um, who is only known as the Watermelon Woman and she wanted to find out more about this mysterious character. So she, as the filmmaker in the movie, decides to start this project. Meanwhile, she meets a white lesbian woman at her video store who, fun fact, is the writer of American Psycho, one of your Turner um, cast in the movie. So one of your Turners in this movie as um, Diana, a white lesbian woman who she meets in the video store and kind of the film charts, Cheryl, the characters relate, like in inter- a relationship, navigating that dynamic, researching about Faye Richards. So like one of the second modes is the archival footage that she'll pull up of this Faye Richards, the watermelon woman that she discovers and then the third is more of like a traditional narrative film where it's an observer camera like with multiple angles so like you're seeing three different modes of film like her self reflective camera the like objective observer camera and then the archival footage that she is looking into and so (laughs) spoiler alert it turns out um, which is the most interesting thing about the film that the watermelon woman the the actress that she's been researching the whole time is not real. She worked with historians to develop this character. But throughout the film, it seems like she's actually pulling, like she's doing interviews. She interviews her actual mom. She's pulling footage from the time to learn about this actress. And the last frame of the film is like, you have to create your history yourself. The watermelon woman is fiction. And then it's like, whoa. And she's actually played by someone else. So like, what's really cool about it is that it's looking at the ways that you have to take control of the narrative. So since Cheryl couldn't find a black actress of the time to look into, she made one up and created this whole rich history of this character who was also a lesbian and like dives deep into finding the archives of this character. She's going to libraries, she's checking reference desks. So in doing so, she's showing how hard it is to find information about some of these black actors in Hollywood of that time and then you find out that that's not even a real person. So it's just this really interesting meta documentary like before people were doing that like before it was cool to do these like pseudo meta documentaries Cheryl was out there in the 90s making the watermelon woman. So highly recommend. It is so so painfully 90s but in the best way like the outfits the the camera work it's all just like 90s goodness like just pure 90s joy yeah so i highly recommend checking that out and cheryl is doing great work still so cheryl denier and buy her shirt because it's cool
0: <laughs> well i guess i'll have to check that out since i've got hbo max i might as well just go ahead and go on because i think they got a whole tcm section in there so i might just have to go and go check that out but thank you caitlin for sharing very much appreciate it all right ladies and gentlemen well all right let's, let's get serious. Ladies and gentlemen, the first film I want to talk about today is none other than 2019's masterpiece, Queen and Slim, Uh, directed by first-time director, or I want to say first-time director, but this is her big-screen debut, Melita Moustakis. I don't think I'm butchering her name. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Before she did any of that big-screen debut, she did a bunch of music videos and commercials, I believe. So to see her do this kind of African-American Bonnie and Clyde-style thriller, interesting choice for a big screen debut. My sister, uh not opening night, a couple days after. It's just a a real powerful movie. And maybe it struck a chord with me just because of the color of my skin, that that stuff could actually happen. You know, I've been pulled over. Couple times, you know, for accidents and stuff. But I've always had good run ins with the police, you know, no issues or anything. But, you know, seeing that stuff go, you know, transpire and go down, obviously in the beginning of the film, mild spoilers, um, if you haven't, don't know anything about the film. Uh, so it basically stars Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner Smith, and they are on a date. Daniel Kaluuya's character is taking her home, and they get pulled over. And this is a supposed to be just a routine, you know, stop. And it turns into a epic disaster, which results in Daniel Kaluuya shooting and killing the cop. And thus from there we enter our story and, and this Bonnie and Clyde style thriller, but it's not really a thriller. It's, it's really a love story about these two people. And it takes uh, over the span of maybe, I don't know, three or four days. I don't maybe not even that long. You know they run into a bunch of interesting side characters along the way, some who are for what they did and others who aren't. But it's really the, the what sells this movie is the chemistry between Kaluuya and Jodie Turner Smith. They're they're yeah, I mean just from the word get go. I mean the opening the opening scene with them on their date it's awkward, but you feel you still feel that chemistry between them. Uh, and I thought they just give two of the best performances of the year last year. And uh, with Melita Moussaka's direction and the script by Lena Waif. If I, if I butchered your name, Miss Waif, I apologize. But uh, this is a beautiful screenplay by, by, directed by her. And I, I got to give a shout out to Bo Keen who plays Uncle Earl. Small, small part of the film. Uh, definitely what you call a supporting role, but he was hilarious. And they, there's a scene between her and him uh, in, 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 in the film that really. I wouldn't say emotional, but it was a powerful scene between them two. Uh, you find out why she kind of disdains for him and doesn't like him very much. And, you know, he's kind of this, uh, what would you say, Ben? Kind of this playboy. I don't even know if he's a playboy. He's a pimp. I guess he would call himself a pimp kind of character. But he's probably the best supporting character in the entire movie. If you guys know Flea, Flea makes an appearance in the film as well. And yeah, that was probably the, the shocker of the movie. But yeah, the, I mean, just throughout it, with, Melina's brilliant, brilliant direction. You know, I love the way this film was shot. Um, it had that, it had that indie vibe to it for sure. But just, just to see these two characters on this journey, you know, going from place to place. Yet they, each day, seems like they are falling in love with each other more and more. And it's, it's, you know, I, I did a post on my Instagram a while ago talking about my favorite love stories in the film, and these two were definitely up there for me. But once again, I'll say it again. I just love their chemistry so much. I'm not going to spoil the ending because Caitlin hasn't seen it yet, but the, the ending, uh, Ben, I think f- I can speak for both of us when I say powerful, emotional, it left me in tears for sure, caught me off guard, uh, and that's kind of all I'll say about that. Yeah, Queen and Slim, which I think, in my opinion, was, it was my second favorite film of the year. If it wasn't for this other little indie film called Avengers Endgame, it would have been my favorite film of, of last year stop caitlin stop rolling your eyes uh yeah the queen I, the, the, the soundtrack and the score are beautiful i have them both on my spotify and on my youtube premium i mean it's 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 a beautiful 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 score on the soundtrack is great uh, i i can't speak enough words and i can see the criticisms of sometimes the messages that melina's trying to get across is a little heavy-handed and the film kind of takes this turn in the second act where you're introduced to this little kid and it kind of it veers off course a little bit, but it didn't bother me that much. But I can see why others would maybe think that. Ben, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah.
1: I was okay, probably. yeah.
0: So, yes, I was okay with it, but I can see why others would criticize that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But, yeah. So, yeah, Queen of Slim is my, was my second favorite film of last year. I think the leader should have been directed for Best Director, should have been nominated for Best Picture. Um, and it's easily in my top 15 films of all time. But I think I'm probably going to watch it again tonight. Uh, after we're done here it's 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 a powerful powerful movie yeah so that's that's gonna that's that's my that's my first film i'm going to discuss queen and slim
1: awesome yeah that was definitely uh i remember seeing that in theaters and that was a great experience yeah it caught me off guard too with the ending especially so the next movie i want to talk about is from 2019 as well this one is directed by Marielle heller and it's the fred rogers semi-biopic a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Personally, I don't really remember watching um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as a kid. Probably seen you know, a few episodes. Uh, I think it was more of a Sesame Street guy. But of course I knew about him and I watched the 2018 doc, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Which was amazing also in it, it.
0: Let me interrupt you for one second. That is one of the best documentaries ever made. Just, just saying just had to get that out there because no one else, because it got robbed for a best documentary at the Oscars. And I don't even think it got nominated, which is a freaking shame, Mm -hmm. but I'm sorry, Ben. I just had to get that out there.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for airing that. I uh, totally agree. Um, Yeah, that, that documentary made me fascinated with Mr. Rogers, his, his lifestyle and his pure interest in, helping not only children with difficult topics, but with adults too, and just spreading love and happiness any way he could. But on the show, he also went into heavy topics like death and war and, and brought it to simpler terms for, for kids to understand. So when I heard Tom Hanks was playing Mr. Rogers, I thought that was perfect casting. He's my favorite actor. And seeing that picture of him in that red sweater just made me giddy. But uh, <clears throat> when I saw it in theaters, it, it really hit me hard. It's not your typical biopic. It focuses more on uh, the character named Lloyd and his struggles with his tough journalist job and his estrangement from his father. He's assigned to interview Fred Rogers, and at first, he's really put off by his calm and his lovable demeanor, and he just wants to get the article done with as quick as he can. But soon he changes his mind as he listens more to him and applies what he he learns from Mr. Rogers. Tom Hanks was exceptional in the role. He perfectly captured Fred's speech pattern, and he was nominated for Supporting Actor at the Oscars, but ultimately didn't win. Also Matthew Reese was great. I hadn't seen The Americans, I believe, This is the show he's on. I haven't seen that, but he was he was really good here. And then his wife played by Susan Kalecki Watson, I believe is how you say it. She was great. And she was the more sensible person in the couple. And so you really uh connect with her and she see where she was coming from. And then Chris Cooper, I think he's he's always great and the supporting roles he's in the film too was it was set up like the show where the transitions were diorama sets and fred introduces the scenes before they start so i thought that was really cool and it brings you into that world uh one thing i wanted to bring up not really much of a spoiler but it happens near the end of the movie the fred rogers asked lloyd to take a minute to reflect on those that that love him and care about him when he's having a tough time. And they literally take a minute of the movie of silence and they're in a restaurant too. And everyone quiets down and everyone in that scene and everyone in my theater was silent. And it was really a striking and even a daring scene. To use in, in a movie. So that, that was really impactful and it, it made me think about people in my life too, which I know is the, uh, the reason behind it. My favorite quote, which I'm trying to use more often every day to uh, remind myself in hard times or whenever, is Anything mentionable is manageable. And I think that's just a beautiful quote, and that no matter what you're going through, I, I feel like that can ground you and make you take a step back and, and look at everything, look at the big picture. Uh, and also, I wanted to shout out, there was, a, there was a man, I don't know his name, and I haven't seen him since, but when we were leaving the theater, he was in a, a good mood, like all of us, and uh, we talked to him a little bit about how much we liked the movie, and I just thought that was that was really kind. You know, some other movies, he just walk out and go straight to your car, but this guy, he, uh, he felt like he wanted to talk and we we talked to him, so. I don't know his name, but it's out to that guy. Thank you. So, yeah, that was overall my, my thoughts and I, I urge everyone to to see the movie, even if you haven't seen or even heard of Fred Rogers. It's A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, directed by Marielle Heller. Over to you, Caitlin. Cool, thanks. I actually
2: haven't seen the, um That film yet? I've seen the documentary, but but also, she was robbed for an Oscar bomb for Can You Ever Forgive Me Before with Melissa McCarthy? Yeah, so check that one out too because she's been doing really cool work. But the second director I want to talk about is Eliza Hittman, who some of you might be hearing in the news and film world more recently from her um, 2020 film, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which I haven't watched yet, because I haven't like been able to get myself, like it's just like a very close like, to my heart topic. So I um, haven't watched it yet, but I want to talk about her 2013 film, It Felt Like Love, which I saw at the Citizen Jane Film Festival in Columbia, Missouri, um, that year, I believe, which was a women directors focused film festival. It has since um, lost its funding, and it is no longer running, unfortunately but it was uh, a small film festival out of a college in Missouri that I would go to every year. Um, And I just remember at the end of the movie just being like kind of stuck to my seat, like that feeling where it's like your breath is caught and I just like couldn't breathe. Um, And it stuck with me for years. Um, And I had the pleasure of meeting Eliza a few years ago now um, while I was working at the IU Cinema here in Bloomington where I live. Um, She was a featured guest, and my boss was incredible enough to let me do the introduction for this film and the Q&A. So I did the Q&A with Eliza after this film, and I have a signed poster above my head right now. Um, So she, yeah, she's wonderful, and I love her films. You might also know Beach Rats was her second feature. She has done three It Felt Like Love, Beach Rats, and then um, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. But It Felt Like Love follows a character named Lila. Who is like 15, 16 years old, um, kind of at that age where you're, especially as a young teen I mean, girl, trying to come into yourself as a woman, coming into your sexuality. Um, people around you in high school might be further along in their journey with like sex and relationships than you are. But Lila is kind of more shy, more reserved, feels behind her friends, especially Tiara, who is her friend, who's like very sexually active, has a boyfriend, always talking about sex and Lila's kind of, like, pretending to go along with it because she doesn't want to seem like the uncool, nerdy nerdy girl, which I really resonated with. Um, I resonated a lot with Lila's experience. But what makes this film different is that instead of being passive and waiting around for something to happen, Lila actively pursues this older guy, like, in a way that is maybe unhealthy for him, unhealthy for her, like, kind of almost predatory for, like follows him to work and like leaves her sunglasses so that she can get his number and like tries to like really just get this guy because she wants to lose her virginity to this like hot older dude. And it ends up kind of putting her in dangerous situations because she's like being so bold in a world that isn't safe for her. So like the film is very, very much in Lila's psyche. Like you're kind of following the story through the way she's experiencing it. And there's like, a shift where you know, you think everything's cool and then it just kind of like you can feel her getting nervous and you can tell that something isn't right about it. And it's it's just like I don't even know how to explain the way I connected with it. It just like resonated a lot with my experiences in high school and like I I could relate to Lila's motivations, I could like understand how she got herself in those situations, and I really felt for her. And I think it was like one of the more raw and authentic portraits of a young girl's coming of age because it's usually not as pretty as we sometimes see it. Like it's not like goofy, you know. Oh, shucks! I want to lose my virginity. Like it's heavy and it's hot and it's emotional. And like I just had never seen anyone capture the authenticity of that time. So it remains one of my favorite movies. And I think it might be it was on Prime for a while. I don't know where I can watch it. I'll make sure it's in the note for something so that people can figure out where to watch it. But also watch your new film, and I will eventually. I just will up the courage. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for listening to my ramble about teenage girls. On to you, Rod.
0: Oh, well, thank you for that great transition there. I appreciate it. So I struggled choosing my second film because I, I thought I knew what I was going to choose. And then, you know, thinking about it last night and a little bit this morning, it found a little difficult. I was going to talk about The Farewell, directed by Lulu Lang. Uh, film that came out last year, my third favorite film from last year. And I was also going to talk about Theater 17, which came out a couple of years ago, one of my other favorite films from that year, uh, top five for sure. But I'm going to go with a film that came out th- this year, or maybe it might have came out last year, but I'm counting guess 2020 film. It, if you've ever seen the movie Bombshell, this is the more serious version. I wouldn't say more serious, but it, this is the more. Darker version of Bombshell. So, without all the flash and without all the, you know, pop and the, the, the stars and everything. And that is a film directed by Kitty Green called The Assistant. Uh, not too familiar with Kitty Green. This might have been the first film I've, I, I don't know if she is a first time director, but I think this is the first time I've seen. Nope, she is not a first time director as I take a look at her Wikipedia. Um, this is her fourth film she has done, and I could not have been more impressed. Uh, it's been a strange year this year. We haven't really got to see a lot of movies come out this year, you know, due to the COVID and whatnot. Uh, so this film kinda came upon me when I was just going to my Google Play store one day and saw that this was a kind of Harvey Weinstein kind of film, and I was like, oh, okay. Why don't I to go ahead and depress myself and, and watch this? So went ahead and paid the 15 bucks, watch it. And I felt gross. I wanted to take a shower. This movie is haunting, it is sickening. I, I Like I said, I, it made me want to take a shower. But men are gross, <laughs> men are gross. Uh, so anyway, the premise of this movie, it basically follows this girl played by Julia Garner. Uh, her character's name is Jane. And she is a assistant for this big time media conglomerate kind of talent aid, you know, media conglomerate, if you want to call it that. And it, it all takes place in one day, follows her throughout her entire work day. And you start to realize as the day progresses and as the day goes on, this isn't your safe kind of work environment. It's uh, it's scary almost. And the, the scary thing about it is you never see the Harvey Weinstein type character. He's always kind of, you know, she works by his office, but the door is always closed. And when the door's open, you never see his face, you never see his body. I think you maybe you see a shadow, you hear his voice a couple of times and you see him reply, you know, do some, send some emails, but you never see him. And that was haunting for me. It really adds an extra layer of terror almost, even though it's not really a horror film, but it, to a to, to, to woman, it might be a horror film, um, especially to a woman of the industry uh, who you know, kind of work in that field. And there's a scene, so it involves this new assistant. Uh, she comes in about close to the second, maybe the third act almost. And you could tell she is definitely not there because she is qualified for the job. As soon as she pops on screen, you can tell that it is all about the looks. I think she, she was some pretty blonde, and uh, she didn't know how to, I think it was type of email or do some kind of uh, document or whatever. And the more you hear her talk, the more you just go, okay, well, she, she's not, she's she, she's not, they, they didn't bring her on here because she was qualified. And, you know, as bad as that sounds, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just telling you that that's how the movie presented it. But there's, there's another really... Scary scene near the second act, or near the tail end of the second act. Almost, it involves Julia Garner, and she goes to another office uh, of this media conglomerate. I believe it's with the HR person, and she's trying to report what's what's been going on in the office. And you think he's kind of on her side, you know, he's listening, he, you know, he's paying attention, and then he doesn't. He tries to kind of just throw it under the rug, kind of threatens her job. Spoiler alert. Um, If you haven't seen the mild spoiler, he pretty much says, you say anything, you're going to lose your job. So, you know, everything regarding Harvey Weinstein and all that, it's terrible. And us as an audience, we never got to really feel that. Well, in this movie, you really feel like you felt that. Like you felt like you were her. You felt like you were Jane. So, and it really adds an extra level of, does this actually go on in Hollywood, or is this still going on? And it, it, it's just—it's just creepy. And it's—and I—I've only been able to watch it twice, and it's hard. It was hard to watch the second time. It's, it's just—it's not—it's not an entertaining watch. You know, it almost felt like a like a like a documentary almost. But um, I applaud Kitty Green for directing. It is a slow burner. Like there, you know—it's—it is slow. It's only an hour and a half, but it's—it's it's slow. But it's worth. 90 minutes. Believe me when I say that. This is, believe it or not, this is probably my front runner right now to get nominated and win Best Picture. Um, it's not my favorite film of the year, but I would say that this should be a front runner to win Best Picture this year, just because of all the, the messages it's trying to get across and and just the way this film, this film is made and, and its screenplay. And uh, shout out to Julia Garner who gives one of the three best performances of the year so far. I think she should also be a front runner for Best Actress, given how limited movies there have been this year. If the Oscars were to be tomorrow, I would say that she would definitely be my pick for best actress. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. But The Assistant, if you haven't seen it, I highly, highly recommend it. It Look, you don't want to watch it on a great, if you're having a good day, don't watch it. Don't, don't, don't do it. But if you're having, if you're feeling down and don't, you know, it's, it's a gray outside, watch it. But I think eventually everyone should. It's it's an important film, just as Bombshell was last year. So yeah, second film I want to discuss was The Assistant by the great Kitty Green, who I now need to go watch the rest of her films. If she can, if this film was any indication, I'm sure she is a director we need to be talking about more.
2: Me that you say that it felt like a documentary because that was her first narrative feature. Um, She did two documentaries before this um, one in 2013 called Ukraine is Not a Brothel, which I saw at a film festival about the women, which were the topless activists, Um, but they created kind of a media frenzy when they were active across Europe because they would go to protest topless. And then the second one, I think, is a freaking masterpiece called Casting John Janet. It's on Netflix. Um, so it kind of dives into the John Wayne Ramsey murder. She's interviewing the real people that were involved in it, but then also at the end, there's this like really cool like performance art. It's just, I think it's genius, like that combination of narrative and documentary film, and that is unreal. So highly recommend that one. Now, I, I,
0: Caitlin, have you seen The Assistant yet? Have you had a chance I, to?
2: I so my boyfriend saw a tweet about comparing it to like. Uncut gems, like if nothing, like the discomfort of uncut gems, except for like slower burn. And he was like sitting through uncut gems so much, like it was so like such a miserable theater experience that he was like, I would rather die than watch this assistant movie. (laughs) Like so, uh, and we're living together right now, so I have not had a chance. So I really want to watch it, but I'm not going to put him through like the combination of two things <laughs> that you would
0: I, I hear you. I hear you. Look, it's, that's actually a very good comparison. Believe like, it or not. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's very good.
2: Yeah.
0: Now it's not as long as Uncut Gems. It's not, you know, so you have that going for you.
2: Is it like as annoying in your, the soundscape is really, I think what did it for Uncut Gems? Cause it's just like purposefully, like everyone's screaming at each other. And yeah. Like,
0: this film is the opposite of that. It's very quiet. It's mellow tone. But like I said, I wanted to take a shower. Yeah, yeah. Like, and you don't even see like any sexual activity really going on, but you you know when you're watching it, like, oh, okay.
2: All I know I've right. been following it for a bit, so I do want to watch it. I just need to, to watch it at a time when I can um, not make him watch it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now let me ask you this: Have you seen Bombshell?
2: Uh, no, I wasn't that excited about Bombshell. It looked like it had dude hands all over it, to be honest
0: well it's um I liked it.
2: Okay. It's a good movie I check it out. I just like yeah. had several of my friends that were like, yeah, a man made that movie and i was like when it's and when it's a story of you know of that nature, that's enough for me to be a little concerned
0: well, when you watch it, you can definitely tell that it wasn't in the hands of the right person like i I don't think a man should have directed that movie, yeah, um just because of the subject matter, but if you are going to watch it, you will not be disappointed by any any of the performances. They're all outstanding. That's
2: what I'll believe. I believe, and also don't really, um, get, like, yeah. Anyway, I
0: just, yeah. Why well, get? And the only reason why I ask because like this is kind of, I mean, they're both coming out within that same time frame, and I much prefer this over Bombshell. Yeah. Even though I, I did enjoy Bombshell because of the performances, but this just 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 felt more right. That makes sense. Like it just you know the tone they went for. And the assistant just felt better than kind of the poppy flash of bombshell, even though there's a couple of really serious scenes, it just didn't feel like all the time they were really focused on the stuff with Roger Ailes and kind of they kind of sidetracked with the stuff with Trump a little bit. But, you know, who am I? But if you had to choose one, I would say definitely recommend go go watch the assistant maybe when Trace is not around. Yeah. So, uh, Benjamin, I highly recommend you watch that too. All
1: right. Yeah, I saw a Bombshell. Um, but, yeah, I'll definitely see The Assistant.
0: Well, any thoughts on Bombshell, Benjamin?
1: Uh, same thing. the the performances were really good. But, yeah, it, w- it would have been – they could have gone deeper into the subject matter, I guess.
0: Caitlin,
2: yeah.
0: isn't, if you haven't – I'm guessing you're probably not going to watch it. Anytime soon?
2: Probably not. I've got my list of things I actually want to watch is longer than.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Ben. Well, if you don't mind, Ben, I, I, Ben, you have seen Bombshell. There, you know, I, I keep saying that the assistant's better and stuff, but there are some really haunting scenes in Bombshell too. And I think, Ben, I think you may know where I'm going with this. It's that scene with Margot Robbie and Roger Ailes. Holy crap! That That scene is. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there are scenes like that, but it's not to that level. Um, like, The right. Assistant is... It, 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 it is gross, though. It's, it's gross.
1: Yeah, it feels more akin, I don't know if this is right, but to, to the big short, maybe, how it mm-hmm. it takes yeah. that, you know, big, devastating event or a series of events and just kind of it made it a little poppy, like you said earlier. It was the director
2: of
1: a dude. <laughs> if you said it. I would know it, but
2: okay, Yeah, it's uh Jay Roach.
1: Right. Who directed yeah. Austin Powers?
0: Mm-hmm. So that kind of yeah. Like that's kind of all you need to know right there if you haven't seen I Bombshell yet.
1: I think uh, Charlize Theron again. Talking about her and the the makeup there was really good too. She looks a lot like.
0: Dude, I literally thought she was Megyn Kelly. Yeah. I mean, that was I was like, holy crap. You know, and speaking of Charlize Theron, I kind of want to go in this different direction, guys. She doesn't get the appreciation she deserves. It's kind of a shame.
2: One of the best. Um, Mad Max. She is.
0: Movie. Oh, you've seen Mad Max Fury Road? Oh, good.
2: Can, that's like one of my favorite movies. I like got to program a movie at my when, when I worked at the cinema that I got to meet Eliza Hitman. We I got pulled to program a film. Um, to play on the big screen and introduce and stuff. And I picked Mad Max Fury Road because I needed to relive awesome. the theater experience.
0: Yeah, that movie shouldn't have been called Mad Max because it really wasn't about Max at all. That should have been called Furiosa or Mad Furiosa or something. It, definitely not Mad Max, though.
2: Like, if we want to get on my um, little woman in cinema high horse, the only reason I saw mm-hmm. Mad Max Fury Road is because dudes on the internet were boycotting it. And usually that means that I must give money to the thing that they are boycotting. It's like that subreddit, like or like subculture of the internet that are like, there's a woman instead of Max in it. I can't watch this. Yeah, there was like a whole boycott going on because they like that it wasn't about Max. It was about a woman. So it's, oh, it's political correctness and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, you're boycotting this? I don't really give, a, can we curse on this? I don't really give a shit about Mad Max, but I'm going to go give money to this thing. And then I ended up being like blown away with the editing and like, it's just... A genius freaking movie. And a woman editor. Awesome. Mm -hmm. George, the director's wife, edited it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ever want me to go see something, just um, tell me that men on the internet are yelling about it, and I'll be like, okay. Well, since I
0: have you on that subject, you know, Caitlin, uh, you know, there are some uh, women uh, uh, crew members on Avengers Endgame, and I know you haven't seen that yet. So, you know, if you ever want to, you know, pop that in, I didn't
2: say if there are women in the movie.
0: (laughs) No, I know, I know, I know, I know.
2: I did see Captain Marvel because we were yelling about it. We are, so of course I freaking saw it. Yeah, how'd
0: you like that? Did you like it?
2: I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I wasn't, like, blown away, just, like, with... I liked it better than... Wonder Woman but I wasn't like super blown really? away I love Brie and I could write an entire I almost did actually in school write an entire essay on how she is in love with that friend of hers they're like their parents to that child they're gay I don't like that was the most queer baby crap I've ever seen in my entire life like the what's her name is it Marie like her they are married Monica Rambo, yeah they, they, like the, the pictures come up of like them in Christmas onesies with the daughter and I'm like they're not gay like you're trying to tell me they're like oh Aunt Carol my mom's friend and I'm like yes because I take Christmas morning photos in onesies with my friends <laughs> see, have to
0: Think about like that see because I was kind of just like oh they're just really close friends that's kind of yeah, how I saw it
2: like, they're gonna like let them be gay right like they're gay they're gay And then they're like, my friend! And I'm like, you suckers.
0: Well, you know, Kevin Feige has spoke out and said that, you know, they are gonna probably experiment with her Carol being, you know, gay or bi or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. You know, I think in their new movie, The Eternals, which comes out unfortunately next year, Um, they are gonna have their first gay character. It's about freaking time, 23 movies in. But, you know, in Endgame, then there is technically a gay character in Endgame. It's a small part. Uh, it's by one of the directors. So after the right. spoilers for Endgame, uh, so just for Caitlin, um, so after the five-year time time jump, Cap's doing this kind of support group thing, and uh, uh, it's Joe Russo who does who makes a cameo, one of the directors, in the support group, and he pretty you know he's talking about his date with a guy. I think that was Marvel's first kind of big opening of a gay character is using a supporting character and the, they're, they're, they're getting there. They're working on it. They're working on that diversity, but I, you know, it's, it's taking them some time, you know, black Widow's finally getting her solo movie after all these years. So, you know, I wanted to also segue into this. Can you guys think of any actress who got snubbed of a Oscar nomination or even a win? And I kind of want to throw one one hat out there right now, and that's uh, Amy Adams for Arrival. Didn't even know that she got nominated. That's a freaking shame.
2: Um, I have so many feelings about that year. That was like oh, my please. This, this
0: is why we're here. This is why you're here, so you can yeah. talk. So you can tell
2: us. Um, Oscar Meltdown was that year uh, when Emma Stone won for La La Land over – I mean, Arrival would Amy Adams would have been my second choice, but Isabelle Huppert and l. She's my favorite actress of all time, and she's a French actress, so the fact that she was even nominated in the Oscars is huge. And she won the Golden Globe, which is awesome. But, like, Emma Stone in La La Land is average, okay? Like, that is not, like, she's great. I love Emma Stone's death. I know, you're mad at me, but there's nothing special about that performance. She's just, like, a person in a movie that's charming. Amy Adams, absolutely. I would have been happy with Amy or Isabel. But then my mom sees Emma in that gold dress she wore, and she was like, sorry, <laughs> and I'm like, I am like, hate you, and you're right. And then she did, and I was very sad. But then Moonlight won Best Picture, and so everything was okay again.
0: Yeah, see, that's what I wasn't happy with. I was not happy with Moonlight winning Best Picture.
2: Well, um, that's too darn bad, because I cried back. <laughs> and, uh, Don't look I, look,
0: it's, I, it's, a it's a great, great movie
2: broken a window if La La Land had beaten Moonlight the Best Picture. Like
0: See, I, so I was kind of on the La La Land hype, so I kind it of La La Land one. Did you huh? break
2: a
1: window and then have to fix it when they took it back and said Moonlight won?
2: No, but I like <laughs> about to cry out of anger, and then they fixed it and like sure. it, and they said it did win. So then I'm like bawling because it's like I was yeah. already like so disappointed, and then I like screaming tears, comparable to Parasite winning, but. Without the little slip-up drama.
0: Well, Parasite deserved that win. From the films nominated, that that film deserved to win that year. And
2: Moonlight um, also a win, so it's a, it's not a fun comparison.
0: And this is why Caitlin's on the show, ladies and gentlemen.
2: <laughs> what?
0: Uh, no, no, no. We're all just having a good old time here, folks. Um, no, but you know, back to the uh, what I was talking about earlier. If you guys can think of any actress or even director. Who's been snubbed of a, of a nomination, even a win? You know, I, I already kind of spoke on Amy Adams for a rival. I, I do agree with you, Caitlin, that Emma Stone didn't deserve to win. I think Amy should have won. Um, I would have
2: been and, you happy. Know, to use be
0: that, yeah. You know, and Amy also, you know, even though she's not the big part in Nocturnal Animals, deserved a nomination for that movie, too. Oh, I
2: think like uh, But you haven't seen it? No, I don't like it. Ah. But talking about directors who should have won, Lynn Ramsey for "You Were Never Really Here" Best Director mm-hmm. of whatever year that was, or what's her name? Ooh, why did I forget it? Of "Leave No Trace," what's her name?
1: Deborah Granick. Um,
2: yes, those were the two best directed films of that year, and neither of them were nominated except for the Indie Spirit Awards. Um, but Lynn Ramsey is my favorite living director. Really? Yeah.
1: What's your favorite film from
2: her? It's mm, probably we need to talk about Kevin, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. I, I I just I haven't seen that all of them. So yeah. I've seen all of her features and Morvern collar surprised me. It was also really good, but I loved You Were Never Really Here. Mm-hmm. And I need to rewatch Ratcatcher because I haven't seen it in a long time. That was her first feature, and I've seen like all of her shorts, um, that are some of them available online. I think she's like such a visionary.
0: Well, if if one of you guys can help me out here, uh, I just need you guys to give me the name of the director for Edge of Seventeen because uh, I'm looking here at the 89th Academy Awards list for Best Director, and I am about to take out like three directors right now. And <laughs> the director of that director director of that movie.
2: Oh, um, Kelly Freeman Craig. Yes, not, um, yeah, I've never seen anything else from her, but I really liked Edge of Seventeen a lot.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Would you have nominated her over Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge? Yeah. Okay, good. We're in the there.
2: Who else was nominated that year?
0: Uh, So Damien Chazelle, um, Denis Villeneuve, uh, Gibson, of course, Uh, Kenneth Monter for Manchester by the Sea, which is uh, overrated, and uh, Barry Jenkins for Moonlight.
2: Barry? Who won?
0: Uh, Damien Chazelle.
2: Should have been Barry, but it's... (laughs) I think, I mean, you're going to hate me. I think he is overrated. But Whiplash is good, La La Land good. But it's like they're like he's the master, and I'm like he's fine. He went to film school or whatever. Like he's fine.
0: I I guess yeah, we we definitely differ there because I I have loved every all three of his uh, films I've seen from him so far, even First Man. uh, I I love First Man.
2: I like people don't, but I liked the short better. Cause I, thought, I, 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 I thought the movie, like, the, the feature, like, the what was added in the feature is not unnecessary. The short, it was a Sundance short first, which was just that scene where, like, when he first comes in to the room and, like, J.K. Simmons is yelling or whatever. Like, that first big, like, encounter is just a sing- a, sh- a short film that he's, like, got into Sundance. But it wasn't Miles Teller. It was that kid from Scott Pilgrim versus the World.
0: Michael Sarah. Oh, Michael Sarah.
2: Not him, not him. The like the friend who's like I think his name was Neil. It doesn't matter. But I thought the short was better. Like that, I just don't think. Basically, I just don't think Damien Chazelle is all he's cracked up to be. His name's Johnny Simmons. He's in parts being a wallflower. Blah blah blah.
0: Oh, great movie. Speaking of speaking of masterpieces.
2: Oh, and Stanford Prison Experiment, highly underrated.
0: But I need to watch that
1: one too.
2: It's so good.
0: Benjamin, I haven't, uh, 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 you have any actresses or or directors you feel have been snubbed? You know, Caitlin has given some of hers. I've definitely shared mine.
1: I'm sure every year I can name someone. Um, I'd have to look at nominees from each year.
2: Every year there's like six women or at least one woman who should have been nominated for director. That's pretty much the rule. Because only one woman has ever won.
1: Only one?
2: Best director? Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. Wow, overrated. Um, and then one <laughs> for cinematographer Rachel Morrison. And that's it. Oh,
1: what what well, film was that, Rachel Morrison?
2: It was for Mudbound. I want to. She's done okay. a lot of. work, but I'm pretty sure it was for Mudbound.
0: You know, speaking of you know the not overrated Catherine Bigelow, uh, you know she is my favorite woman director currently working right now. Uh, Benjamin and Caitlin. Um, you know, I I heard mixed things about Hurt Locker because critics were raving about it, but I've heard, you know, friends and stuff say it's not that good. So, you know, when I finally got a chance to go see it, I was pretty impressed. I enjoyed it. Um, I don't think I should have won Best Picture. I was fine with them winning Best Picture, but, you know, it wasn't anything special. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty up at Hand, I loved. I mean, that was great. I, I, I love Zero Dark Thirty, and I know people complain about its slow pace and it's too long and stuff. But that, and for other film, I'll talk about Detroit Haunting. That's pretty good. I, I I love Detroit. That movie doesn't get talked about enough. Uh,
1: also, one doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, enough said. I don't know if either of you oh, seen that, that, one.
2: that one. I like that one. James
1: Gandolfini and uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Yes. Directed by Nicole Hall Center.
2: Right, right, right. right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. And she wrote the um, Can You Ever Forgive Me that marielle Haller directed. That should have been not oh, okay. 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: I haven't seen that yet. I heard that was really good.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Enough Said was adorable.
1: hmm
2: I guess she did a lot of writing on Parks and Rec, too. Oh,
1: okay.
2: I was just looking at her. I love looking at this stuff. Or just four, four episodes she wrote
1: on. Hmm. I'd also be a complete idiot not to mention Sophia Coppola. She's directed such movies as The Virgin Suicides, a remake of The Beguiled, and Marie Antoinette. But my favorite of hers, and my favorite movie of all time, is Lost in Translation, which she wrote and directed. It's a beautiful film that stars Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray, and characters are both in different stages of marriage scarlet early on and bill has had quite a few more years of experience but they're both in japan on trips and they connect as they both feel they're lost in their relationships and and the world and their lives and it's a really deep and introspective movie Uh, it's also really funny and has some great music but her control of the camera is amazing with a lot of uh, still shots and it's a wonderful script too that really gets to me and uh especially that that ending is one of the best endings of all time in my opinion you
0: know it's uh, I, I, as you guys are, are talking I, i'm like I'm, I'm trying to think of this film that um is beloved and i I'm, i am i am embarrassed that we haven't touched on it yet that's winter's bone Jennifer Lawrence. Ah, uh, I mean that's. a I, I don't know if any of you have any thoughts on Winter's Bone. You know, I, uh, for me, I personally love it. I don't think it's Jennifer Lawrence's best performance. Uh, I, I say that, that for so.
2: Sever Granick, too, the director of Leave No. Yeah. Truth. You know, when I, I think. One, it became one of my favorite actors. I think he's very or Jennifer good. Lawrence. No, John Hawkes.
0: Oh, okay, okay,
2: okay. Heardrop. He's very good at being scary. He play also plays the cult leader in Martha Marcy May Marlene.
0: Uh, another person kind of want to touch on too, uh, even though she hasn't have like all the hits so far in her filmography, it's someone that you the three of us we did discuss uh, a couple days ago. That's Ava DuVernay. Uh, Caitlin, I know I want I want you to kind of give some thoughts on uh, her little miniseries you did on Netflix. But before you do that, I kind of want to to uh, just give a give a shout out to Selma. If if you guys haven't seen Selma, I mean that movie is remarkable, very powerful, and did you know David O. Oy- David Oyelowo is that Oyelowo, David O. Anyway, yeah, I I, I always butcher that last name, uh, but he's I saw Martin Luther King, and I was even born Martin Luther King when I was around. That I look, that felt like Martin Luther King to me, um, you know, just based off what I've seen in school and YouTube, and you know watching stuff with my parents and whatnot, but Kaylin, I know you really liked her little Netflix series. So I thought you would want to maybe speak upon that for a little bit.
2: Yeah. Um, I, Netflix series, uh, it's called when they see us. I'm sure a lot of people watched it. It's about, um, the, what are referred to as the central part five, the five, um, young black boys who were charged with assaulting a jogger in 1989. Um, but were, throughout the series you can see the various ways in which they were kind of tricked, coerced into the confessions that ultimately led to their charge um, and that they have now been exonerated and there are all these like gorgeous photos of the cast members with their respective um, real life counterpart because um, these men are now able to continue their lives but like, their youth was stolen from them. Um, and just the way that Ava is able to Story and stories, and it's by Gerald Rome. And I don't remember some of the. His is like, just, like, yeah. I can't even like talk about his performance because it just like ripped my entire soul to pieces. But um, have, you, have either of you seen the series?
0: I have. Yes, I have. I have watched the series. I I very much enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, enjoyed hard. Like it's like it's hard to watch because you're just, like watching. right, like right. Coercion and abuse by the law enforcement, um, but really important kind of documentation of the way that the justice system is not always just, probably rarely so. Um, but I think she's had a really powerful vision for the way some of those things played out. I'm trying to I haven't watched it recently. I'm just, but like. Just some, some of the cinematography, like the way the light would play and in, in the rooms, like, I don't know, it was just gorgeous, but also heartbreaking. And I mean, Ava, like, yeah, her filmography is a little inconsistent, but she is just like a heightened when it comes to supporting women in film. She has her own production and distribution company, Array, and um, her show. On Oprah Network, Queen Sugar only employs women directors and has started a career for several different women who were only working in TV and are now working in film, like Numa Perrier, who has a film called Jezebel on Netflix, that everyone should watch. But she's just like kind of become a symbol for um, encouraging diversity behind the camera, and I respect the hell out of her. Well, thank you for for
0: sharing your thoughts. That was, that was powerful. Thank you. You know, I feel like we, we need to bring her up, this director up too, and that's Greta Gerwig. Um, probably someone whose filmography, while very short, just made some great movies, and both I think had potential to have been best picture, um, especially Ladybird, which I, uh, I'll be honest, I didn't really like the first time. I thought it was okay. Maybe it was because my love for Edge of 17, the year before, to count the year before. I thought I was like, oh, here we go, another 17. It's not going to be that good. Um, Then I watched it again about a month ago, and, yeah, I think it's a bloody masterpiece now. But um, it it really is. And, you know, uh, uh, speaking about Greta Gerwig also, um, you know, Cerise Ronan, who I think is going to become a household name if she isn't already. Um, I mean, this girl, I see a couple Oscars on her mantle, um, when it's all said and done. Did she yet? No, she's gotten nominated a couple times, but she has not won one yet.
1: But she puts a good fight almost every year. I oh, know.
0: She does. She does. I wasn't the biggest fan of Little Woman. I thought it was fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a good watch. You know, I give it a seven and a half, eight. That's a positive view. But, you know, I I just, comparing it to Lady Bird, I was like, it's no, it's no competition. I still think Lady Bird was superior um, in every way, you know, Any uh, Ben, Caitlin, open up the floor. If you guys have any other thoughts about Greta Gerwig or Sharice Ronan.
2: I don't think so. I mean, I think Greta is a great actress and writer and director, so he's one to look out for. So.
1: For sure. Yeah, same thing. Little Women. I hadn't seen any other adaptations of it before, so. I didn't yeah, that was
0: my first viewing. Okay.
1: Yeah. I didn't know exactly uh, what the story was, but yeah, I thought it was better than expected, I guess, because it was, yeah, it was funny and I thought it was pretty heartwarming. Yeah, and the, the chemistry between all those actors was great too, seeing them.
0: Do you guys have any other shout outs? Uh, go ahead, but I want to give a shout out to two black actresses who, one was absolutely snubbed of a nomination last year, I, I, the fact that she wasn't even considered for a nomination kind of upsets me. She's already won an Oscar, though. But if you guys haven't seen Lupita Nyong'o and Us, oh my goodness! I, I, I can, can we can we please talk about how? Uh, look, I've seen Judy with Renee Zellweger, and I thought the movie was fine. Her performance was good, uh, but Lupita's was you know, up Rich here.
2: World.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and the fact that she wasn't even nominated, consulting awesome.
2: insulting. Horror movies.
0: Mm-hmm. They, they do, because the year before that, uh, Tony Collette for Hereditary oh, right. uh,
1: mm-hmm. right.
0: should have been nominated. And uh, even Florence Pugh last year for Midsommar, I don't understand how you don't nominate her. Um, yeah, what a year Florence Pugh had last year. But... Um, you know, if you haven't seen her in Fight With My Family either, I finally got to see *Fighter* With My Family. And that. Um, she was really good in that too. But I'm getting off topic here. Uh, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, if you haven't seen her in Us, or if you haven't seen her in 12 Years a Slave, whew, I mean, look, it's a great movie, but it's one of those movies where I have a hard time trying to watch again. Cause it's, 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 it's a difficult watch, but her performance is magnificent. I also want to give a shout out to Zendaya, who I think is going to be another household name this decade. Uh, She has a show on HBO called Euphoria. And I know that show does not work for everybody. And I get it. Like that show kind of goes out there. But that is one of my favorite shows of all time right now. And the fact that I probably have to wait till next year for season two is is, is hurting my head and my brain. Um, But uh, Ben, have you seen Euphoria?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Okay, well, it, like, like I said, it's not for everybody. It's not. But uh, it's as realistic of high school as you're probably going to see in any kind of media form anytime soon. You know, you have all these kind of high school party movies and stuff, and, you know, like Project X and Super Bad. But, you know, those are all kind of glamorized, especially Project X. And
2: the average you' 25.
0: Yes. It, yeah. Why? I, I still don't understand why they cast like thirty-year-olds to play seventeen-year-olds. <laughs> I don't get that.
2: Wow. Euphoria is a masterpiece. You
0: think, oh, you have. Oh, see, I didn't know you've seen it, Caitlin. Oh
2: yeah, I. Love, Euphoria is like yeah, wrecked me. And as far as representation, casting a trans girl to play a trans girl is pretty awesome.
0: Um. But yeah, she was. She was great I don't I can't remember the actress's name because I don't think I've seen her anything else.
2: Yeah, she was more in like the modeling industry before euphoria um, okay might be her first acting role, but she's been kind of a in the modeling world fashion.
0: gotcha but like I, I bring up Zendaya because she's one of those Disney Channel stars who didn't go crazy and she's actually kind of you know making a name for herself now. You know, she, yes, she is in the MCU and she was great Far From Home, but God, her performance in Euphoria is just like next level. It's like Lupita Nyong'o and Us.
2: Yeah. I'm too old. to so, know her from Disney, so I just know her as a good actress. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's all right. Yeah, she she, she has been in a couple of Disney shows. Yeah, um,
2: I've heard I've as much, but, you know, I'm that so Raven kid, Like I'm, <laughs> I don't know these, these uh, Same. younger people.
0: But uh, does anybody else have any other kind of actresses or directors we didn't mention that we might, maybe we should have?
2: I mean, tons, of course. I mean, if we're talking coming of age, shout out Boat Smart, Libby Mm Wilde.
0: Yes, thank um, you, yes.
2: um, The movie I needed in high school still cracks me up every time. Um, Let
0: me interrupt you for one second before you, Mm -hmm. let me interrupt you, because I want to ask you this question. Have you seen Superbad?
2: Yeah, I've seen Superbad.
0: So the both movies are kinda of similar, in your opinion. Um but which did it better, in your opinion? Booksmart. Okay. Cause I, I, I kinda feel the same way. I, I feel like Booksmart did do it better.
2: Yeah. Probably because the act the actor the like kids look like kids and also the yeah. supporting characters are better and, and given more depth. And
0: <laughs> can we talk about Billy uh uh Billy Lord, please? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs>
2: did her mom justice uh gotta love
0: her ben have you seen book smart yes
1: i uh, i really enjoyed it um of course i love um olivia wilde and i'm really excited for her next feature too which uh should be really yeah great. it's
0: interesting i think it's got shia LaBeouf, I yeah. think. and like and a couple chris other pine people. yeah the, the cast is stacked
1: yeah and it, i think it's oh,
0: like, i think it's Dakota Johnson's in that too. If you guys haven't heard mm-hmm. Dakota Johnson, she, I think she's in that. Um, yeah. lovely, lovely actress, Um uh, love my life, but that's besides mm-hmm. the point. Um,
1: and, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, Beanie Feldstein and, um, oh. you know, never, I mean, I'm sure they're best friends in real life too, but they, it just looked like they were filming them.
0: Well, you know, you say that. And I think I, I watched an interview on YouTube. I think they spent like, a couple months like actually rooming together like in a hotel or something
2: Oh, okay cool together to get i think home. so like, best mm-hmm. season yeah
0: season. but um i given me i think you may have heard of it I, bini feldstein came out with the movie this year um it didn't get much buzz uh,
2: i haven't seen it yet what's the name of that i know it so i'm gonna look it up how
0: heard. to
1: build a girl i think Yeah, that
0: one. yeah I've heard really good things about that movie,
2: so I think I need to go check that out.
1: Some movies that I found that were, I believe, available to stream that you may have heard of uh, includes Clueless from Amy Heckerling, American Psycho we had mentioned earlier with uh, directed by Mary Herron, Wayne's World, Directed by Penelope Spears. 1989's Pet Cemetery*, which is based off a Stephen King book, Mary Lambert. Uh, one I just watched a couple weeks ago, Bend It Like Beckham. It's a great soccer story. Directed by Garinder Chadha, And I'm sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. And a film that gets shot down a lot, but I actually really like it. I love the music and everyone in it is, trying their best to sing. Some voices are better than others, but I think it's a lot of fun, and I like the sequel a lot, too. And that's Mamma Mia by Philita Lloyd.
0: Um, well, guys, I think, I mean, we've kind of been over an hour here, and I feel like we kind of all got our points across here. And, um, you know, this has been great. Caitlin, I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, thank you. For those you, of you who don't know, you can find Caitlin on at, the, well, i you, you know,
2: Hello. if you want to um you can find me on instagram at cinefeminist that's my film account i am sometimes very bad at keeping up with it but i'm editing some videos right now to like start a youtube channel we'll see rebellion is my personal account come hang out thanks for listening Watch (laughs) watch more movies by women yay
0: and that's why we love caitlin Uh, Caitlin is one of my uh, good friends, and and I couldn't have been happier to have had her on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of our episode. Thank you for joining. Uh, Until next time, have a good
2: one. Are we good,
0: yeah, oh shit, okay, good, ah, okay. all right, all right all right uh, let's let's start that over so okay. my my computer kind of froze, yeah.